Hello, Marjorie, Arnie, and Jacob. I want to play a game. You have reviewed many movies in your life, but with the release of Saw 6, I have a new test for you. You have to watch and review all of the movies in the Saw series. We need to talk. We need to think. But be warned. These reviews will be filled with spoilers, and the language used will offend some people. But this is your task. Live or die. Make your choice. Today we're discussing Saw 4, starring Tobin Bell, Costas Mandalore, Scott Peterson, and Donnie Wahlberg, directed by Darren Lynn Boosman. I'm Arnie, host of Now Playing. I'm Marjorie. And I'm Jacob. Now, we'd said last time that the writers were making a Jigsaw trilogy, and at the end of part three, we see Jigsaw's throat cut open. And I remember the pre-release hype for Saw 4, and we saw Saw 4 in theaters again because... We're gluttons for punishment? The mystery was so big that I got drawn in. How are they bringing back Tobin Bell because they've killed him? Is it going to be one of the horror movie cliches? Well, we were able to sew his neck back together and he's not really dead even though his brain was exposed. Well, they start fucking with us in the very first scene where we get to see the Jigsaw autopsy. But then you get to see Jigsaw junk. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I have to see a little more Jigsaw than I ever needed to see. The missing piece. (laughs) (laughs) we got to see that but we never got to see what he was doing with those little jigsaw pieces he was cutting out of flesh yeah no i i like the autopsy scene not that i liked the gore in it but it it was a definite statement yo this guy is dead if we're bringing him back it's gonna be some crazy mind fuck yeah it was definitely closing the book on that jigsaw is dead and so how can you do it and then during the autopsy what do they find but remember in the last podcast we talked about how there was a tape with some candle wax being poured on it and when i was watching part three i'm like what the hell is that and it never comes back up we get to see a flashback of jigsaw swallowing the wax coated tape does wax help tape go down No, but i have to say something there's a movie that is good called maria full of grace about a girl who escaped Columbia by smuggling heroin and how they do it is by swallowing balloons or condoms filled with heroin and there's this big elaborate scene where they have to spray her throat with an antiseptic anesthetized thing and it's really hard to get these little itty bitty tiny packets of heroin down and here he is swallowing a cassette tape. Now granted it's been a long time since I've seen one of those little tiny cassette tapes but I don't think it was an easy chore especially when you're dying. Well keep in mind his brain was cut open perhaps the anesthetic also applied to the throat first of all i think the wax was there to protect the tape from stomach acids and from getting corroded so they could play it back when they could go back to 1982 and find a mini cassette player but uh that tape looked really big after you poured all that wax over it looked like it had almost doubled in size and that that, you couldn't swallow that thing that's way too big Yeah, I mean, it's physically bigger than your esophagus, I think. What's really bad is I remembered that from seeing it before that they found a tape in him, but I thought they were going to find it when they were removing the brain. (laughs) That's what I thought, too, is they're going to say, oh, you know, they talked about how he's got the cut and they take it out. That's where I thought the tape was coming out of. I thought they'd find something up there. Yeah, I did, too. So I was a little bit relieved, I guess, that Jigsaw wasn't putting things in his own brain, but instead swallowing a large hunk of tape and they cut open his stomach and there's a cassette so from the grave jigsaw's game is not yet over and i I love when they they bring in the detective good thing this more this uh autopsy the the doctor doing it is so old-fashioned he's still using his mini tape recorder you know even though it's what 2006 by this time 2007 Here's the thing. You mentioned in a previous podcast you had to look up a timeline. I have had to look up a timeline as well. If we say that the first movie occurred when it came out, which was back in 2004, I think that this movie probably is still in 2004, maybe 2005. Because everything's happening on top of each other. We find out in this movie, Detective Matthews has been missing for six months and he went missing in Saw 2. And so the question is how much time passed between Saw 1 one and saw two i'm no expert on decomposition but maybe another six months but here's my question we know it gets really confusing in this and even watching them all at once i still don't know when it's supposed to be happening and i got really hooked because they said there's two police detectives walking together and they say another doctor is missing from the hospital 
I thought it was a third doctor. That's how confused I am. I don't know when this took place. And <laughs> you, I'm you've just... spoiled the big twist at the end is that part four, well, after we start the playing of the tape and it, the tape is left for Detective Hoffman, Costas Mandalore, and he's listening to it and Jigsaw's like, Detective, you have a test. And then we immediately have another jump cut to police storming a building. They're trying to find Detective Matthews and instead they find Detective Carrie, who died in the last movie. And so you think that this is the beginning of Hoffman's test. But what you find out at the very end, I'm going to spoil it now, is this whole movie's taking place parallel to part three. So when they say a doctor's missing, that doctor is Lynn. And when they say another, I guess the first one was Gordon. Yeah, that, that ending, I mean, I don't know. It screwed me up. It, it confused me so much, I, I stopped caring. It, in, in fact, you know, usually when I'm taking notes for these movies, I got a couple pages worth of notes. After the end of three, where it's just like, we're going to go into four. You talked about how this is like a, a seer, like Lost or Battlestar Galactica. You know, it's just, we're going to go into the next movie. I just stopped caring, and, and you know, I have like a few notes on this one, but I'm like, well, if they don't answer it in this movie, whatever questions I have, they'll probably get, you know, answer in the next one. And, and here's my problem. You know, I read a lot of comic books, and comic books, the, the, the model is we're going to tell these multi-issue arcs. You get these issues that come out every month, but we're going to take like six issues to tell a story. And sometimes, you know, from there, there's an even bigger story where you have to read multiple story arcs. You know, fine. But when I pick up a single issue, I want that to be a satisfying story. Sure, it could play into the next issue and riff off the past ones, but I want a satis- If you're going to sell me a single issue, I want a satisfying story. And it seems, right after I saw Saw 3 and then going into Saw 4 is really where this effect hit me, the I'm like, they're not even going to bother telling me a satisfying movie. You know, it's it's like watching uh, uh, the Matrix sequels where they're just going to end in the middle because they've hit that, you know, that two hour limit and come pay us another 10 bucks for the next installment. And it, it just really annoyed me and it kind of soured me on this just just from the get go. I don't know. I kind of like the twist that this whole thing is taking place during part three because it allowed it to extend it. I mean, it's a little bit of a cheat, but it allowed it to extend it. And I don't know. When we get to the end of this movie, we'll talk more about it. But the way it ties into part three, I really liked. And it's done in such a way that I think you had to have seen three to understand the end of this movie. But for the first three quarters of it, you wouldn't have had to see part three. No, but if you hadn't, when you got to that last quarter of the movie, you'd be standing up screaming, what the fuck? Yeah, this would have been like, uh, did you see the Planet of the Apes remake? The, uh, yes, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Another Where's Wahlberg it? movie. Yeah, yeah. You get to the end of that, and you know, how do you top the, the original, the Statue of Liberty? Just a brilliant ending. And so they're like, we got to top this somehow. And uh, Marky Mark gets back to his his earth, and there's Abraham Monkey Abraham Lincoln Memorial. Uh-huh. And there's monkeys everywhere. And you're like, what the hell? What? I don't. Yeah, it's a surprise. You could have had a talking cantaloupe. It would have been just as logical as this ending. <laughs> I mean, you, you get to the end. I need to be able to have some logic that built up to there where I could appreciate the twist. And there, I don't know. That was just, especially if you haven't seen the other movies, you're, you don't know what's going on here. I will agree with you on that, Jacob, is that this was a twist for twist's sake. Every other movie had, again, what I refer to as the Fight Club ending, where if you go back and watch the movie again, you'll see it in a different light. Knowing watching Saw 3 for this podcast, from the beginning, my memory was that it was Amanda's test. Watching that movie, knowing it's Amanda's test, shows a whole new light on so many of the lines in that movie than the first time you see it when you think it's Jeff's test. Here, you see the ending. If you go back and rewatch the movie, you're not going to see a damn thing in a different light it was just hey audience fooled you and it also pisses me off because at the very beginning as we said costas mandalore's playing that tape detective hoffman you have a challenge coming we don't know what the hell it is we Mm -hmm. never get to it because the whole thing when we start with the swat team finding detective carrie it's a i guess a flashback or it just jumps in time like a quentin tarantino movie where now everything's taking place while jigsaw's still alive and so that whole beginning is it going to be answered in five i really don't remember Remember, I don't know, but it sure as hell isn't answered in four and you should put your cliffhangers at the end of the movie, guys. 
It's not at the very beginning. The opening credit cliffhanger. <laughs> well, this is the first time now that the FBI seems to be involved in the investigation. I'm like, oh, it took you this long? Jesus Christ. That was my reaction exactly. I'm like, wow, they finally got a clue. But here's what kind of is weird. Detective Carey was sending them like secret messages. So I don't know if like they knew. Well, I, since we know what's going on, I guess we need to talk about this at the end. Well, how was Detective Carey sending It said she messages? was sending messages and no one else knew she was. To the FBI? Yeah. Oh. Now, I don't know too much about police FBI protocol, but I'm pretty sure if the you got a serial killer, the FBI is all over that shit. Because that's what they do. I don't think they're se- sending secret messages. Why didn't anyone else know about the FBI? Yeah, we're introduced to FBI agents Strom and Perez. And this is also where it gets very confusing for me, because Strom and Hoffman are similar looking and similar build. I often got very confused because the movie shot very darkly and in low light situations as to who was who at various times i will admit that at at the end montage of this we get to see hoffman doing something and hoffman's wearing a suit and tie which is what strom wears the whole thing and i'm very confused i was like was that strom in that quick cut and i had to back it up and freeze frame and be like oh no that's costas yeah i I had the same problem especially when they're in the same scene i'm like uh, who's talking to who here now, did you also feel that the, the interaction between the FBI agents was utterly ridiculous and it was like Strom was training Perez and it was some big training mission for her? It, it came off to me like FBI meet the local police doing every movie. You're the FBI now. Get, but, you're the pawns. Get out of our way. I mean, that's how it came off to me. Just very cliche. But wasn't Perez his partner in the FBI? It, yes. However, every interaction between them, he was like quizzing her and saying, now look at this. What do you think it is? And she'd have to give the answer. He's either a condescending asshole or she's in training. I, I thought that might be the twist where, you know, because they talk about how Amanda couldn't carry these bodies around. She was too little. So I thought he was kind of giving subtle hints that he's behind this and he's this other that they start alluding to right in the beginning. And he's he's kind of very sinister and secretive and Maybe he's trying to drop these hints so he can trap these people. I I thought that's what was going on. Can I just say I'm glad he's not because I hate it when the secret killer is revealed to be somebody who just appears in the last movie. They did that in the TV series Nip Tuck. There was this murderer, the Carver, Carver, and the big question is who is the Carver? And there were all these theories, who is the Carver? And then they have a new doctor just happened to move to town. And it turns out the new doctor who just moved to town was the Carver who was there before the doctor presumably moved to town. Just too convenient. So had Strom been Jigsaw's helper all along, that would have been too convenient convenient so i'm glad it wasn't but yes that is the big thing set up at the very beginning because we know jigsaw's dead and we know amanda's dead so how are we having this movie well strom basically tells the audience and costas mandalore jigsaw couldn't have done all this alone jigsaw was brains and amanda well couldn't lift so what was Amanda? She wasn't brains or brawn, but there was some brawn somewhere who put Detective Carey in the trap. So I thought Strom might be there, but I also, in the back of my mind, now we talked about in the last podcast that Lawrence uh, Carey, what is Elway, isn't coming back. But I also thought, ah, oh, maybe this is where he comes back into the story, too, because they start dropping these things. There's someone else. I'm, I'm thinking either the FBI guy or, or Lawrence is back. Now, this movie started out after the autopsy scene with two guys, like, attached to a pulley. One has his eyes sewn shut and one has his mouth sewn shut, and they both are attached to this chain. I found out on Wikipedia, the guy with his eyes shown shut, his name is Trevor. I don't know where people got the name, but he's Trevor, okay, and I'm the guy have with the mouth su- probably, shown shut is Art. They probably like Star Trek and Star Wars, and they make up names for people. <laughs> but they don't have a challenge. It just seems to be gruesome for gruesome's sake, where they have to play a tug of war, they trip the little wire and then the pulley starts pulling the chains in which is eventually kill them both yeah and so they have to like basically beat each other art because he's got eyes sees the key on the back of trevor's neck on his collar but then we are not treated to anything there's no tapes there's no test what did trevor do and with his eyes sewn shut i'm guessing he was another voyeur but well art does the very sensible thing and rips his lips apart after he gets free you would have thought he would have wanted to do that you know right when he wakes up and finds out the situation he can rip those threads off and go yo I- i'm on your side your eyes are sewn shut I'm- we're both chained up 
hey, turn around. Oh, you got a key there. Let me open that. Instead, <laughs> he, he does that after he kills the guy. I actually had to rewind it because I couldn't figure out why he'd do that. Because after he's free, if my lips were sewn shut, I would stumble to the nearest emergency room to get them cut back open instead of just tearing my lips off in a yowl of pain. So I thought he was getting pulled into the machine that the key, it might have been a trick because Jigsaw loves tricks. What Art would have had to do was rescue Trevor. The key on the back of Trevor's neck was for Trevor's lock and the key wouldn't work for Art. And so I had to rewind to make sure Art really got out of that collar because I thought, you know, why else would he rip his lips apart? Because it's gruesome and that's why people are watching. So that's why. So when the FBI agents are introduced, we're also introduced to a new cop, Detective Rigg. Now, this freaked me out because Rigg is close to Riggs and Riggs and Murtaugh. Murtaugh is played by Danny Glover, who was in Saw 1. Thank you. I, I picked up on the same thing. I, I had to wonder if it was some kind of nod. Who are Riggs and Murtaugh? The two cops from Lethal Weapon. Riggs oh. is the Mel Gibson character and Murtaugh is the Danny Glover character. Well, Costas Mandalore is Australian, so maybe they're... Is your time? I, I told you. I told. I said in the last podcast, there's some vast Hollywood conspiracy going on with these movies. <laughs> We're piecing this together. Why do you think it, the killer's name Jigsaw? It's a hint that we need to start piecing things together. Now, Rig is a black man. Jacob, in the last podcast, you said you wondered if there was some inherent racism. Rig here is our protagonist. He's the hero of the movie. He's trying to save both Hoffman and back from part two and part three. Detective Matthews, Donnie Wahlberg is hanging tough with a chain around his neck on some ice. (laughs) I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) God, I hate New Kids on the Block. (laughs) Again, I kind of liked Rig because he was he was on the SWAT team in the uh, I think at least in two and three he might have been in one as well I'm not sure no there, he wasn't in one but in two and three he was on that SWAT team I recognized him from that so again at least here's a character that's made it alive through a few of the films so maybe I could invest something yeah he is the hero of of the film or the, at least the main protagonist uh, but here's the thing and, and we're gonna get into you know his what his game is but basically his game is to do nothing it's and I got that right away. It's to be lazy, like the stereotype a lot of people put towards black people. So I still think the inherent racism is there. I had a question. Why couldn't he just walk out the door of his house and just say, screw it all? Well, That's I what mean, he was supposed to do. Yeah. His thing is to walk away and not do anything and everyone would live. Yeah, what Jigsaw says is, you know, Jacob, you said that his lesson is to do nothing. But in fact, that's not what his character is. His character is so caring that he'll do things that break procedure. And when they're investigating Detective Carey's site, he runs through a non-secured door. And Detective Hoffman tells him, you never run through an unsecured door. And so he's he's too caring and really too good. He's trying to, you know. I thought he was dating Carrie, but then we saw his wife. So now I was really confused. But I thought that that was his girlfriend. No, he was just trying to help her. See, they didn't set that up very well because I just thought they were an item. I, I thought they ju- he just cared about her because they were on the police force together. Yeah, I thought the same thing. But here, okay, and this bothers me now because now we got a bunch of hypocrisy coming from Jigsaw because he's putting uh, Rig through this test because he cares too much. He's too obsessed with saving people. Yeah, Jigsaw says something about, like, you're so afraid of others making the wrong decision that you can't make the right one. Is this, uh, you know, kettle, meat, pot? (laughs) That's the whole point of Jigsaw, is he's obsessed with saving people. It's a very twisted sense of saving people, but he's just as obsessed as Rig is. And so it really annoyed me during this film, that whole hypocrisy going well, let me ask you, do you, th- I never thought this, but until this conversation, do you think the movie was trying to show us perhaps the story of Jigsaw training his next disciple? And that at the end of the movie, the twist is Rig is Jigsaw's new disciple? I def- I mean, they played up like that. They first see what I see, judge how I judge. I mean, feel how def- I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Feel how I- they definitely try to get the viewer to think. And I did think this. I mean, this, this, gives this this movie gives you a lot of uh things to throw you off the trail and this is one of them i definitely thought okay you know jigsaw because again i thought jigsaw was already dead at the beginning of this movie so we haven't got to that twist ending yet so i'm like okay so this is you know whoever's killing these people after you know jigsaw left here he is getting the you know it's a very a Sith and apprentice thing here, you know, <laughs> Jedi and apprentice. We're, we got to raise up the next apprentice so this jigsaw thing could go on forever. So I definitely thought that Rig was going to, at least they made it look that way, that he was going to be the next jigsaw. 
See, I thought he was being framed to throw everyone off the track because, I mean, really, who cares about a member of the SWAT team? They knew he was troubled because they had to send him home. He was having problems, and his wife just left, left him. And he beat up a school principal. He, We see in a flashback, he beat up a school principal who was abusing a little girl, and I thought it, he was just a big patsy, and that's why it was doing it. I didn't get too deep in the fact that maybe he was a disciple. I was also wondering at times, you know, I couldn't tell if Strom thought Rig was the disciple or if Strom knew Rig was going through tests because it kind of goes back and forth when they're in Rig's apartment they're like why are all these pictures here of all these people he must be the disciple but then also written on the wall is see what I see you know all of that and by the time they make it to the second scene of the hotel room Strom is very much like Rig is going through a test you know well my theory always was that the FBI was brought in because they thought it was an inside job and that there was help on the police force I think they even mentioned that at some point in the movie but that's why I thought that Detective Carey was sending the secret messages to the FBI, and I'm probably making this to be way out more than it is. I'm thinking too way too hard about this movie, but I think that's why no one else knew about the FBI, is because Carey knew someone inside was helping Jigsaw, and that's why he was never caught. I mean, come on. Look what the guy's <laughs> using. How could they not catch him? Yeah, I, I thought when they had Strom thinking it was rigged doing this stuff, I just thought it was him using bad logic. I'm like, really, if I'm a killer, I'm going to have all these pictures up in my house. I, I I think they're trying to throw the viewer off with that. I didn't think it was very convincing, though. Now, come on, Jacob. You've seen movies before where the killer always has newspaper clippings and pictures up about his victims. I, I in fact, have a collage of that in my own room here. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm not that I'm a murderer. I'm just obsessed with, uh, you know. Now, did you guys find it weird that at some point, I guess it was Rig, when they sent him home, he was looking at a book about the Jigsaw Killer. Did you catch that? There was like a book and there was a magazine, but I couldn't tell if it was necessary. The book was definitely about Jigsaw. I think the magazine was actually about John Kramer, the engineer philanthropist. But only at this point did the FBI step in because if they're writing books about the serial killer that's still with his picture on the cover, right? Yeah. So and wasn't it in two? Isn't that the first time they knew? who the jigsaw killer was when they found him lying in that room yeah but you know what they did say detective matthews had been missing for six months Uh uh-huh so therefore they got that book to print in six months and if you think they can't sarah palin's book is out and rod boyovich's (laughs) book is out already you can get a book to print in six months if there's media hype but they're already interviewing his ex-wife which we meet his ex-wife and learn more about jigsaw's backstory but seriously they can't catch this guy really seriously come on all right let's talk about about Jigsaw's backstory since you brought that up. Because there's a lot of backstory. Here. Yeah, this half of this movie is told in flashbacks to show us why he's the Jigsaw killer. Did we need a why? I kind of got the why in like part one because my life was pointless and now I will make everybody else's life better. We talked about it, the Fight Club thing. This is what I hate about mainstream Hollywood movies is that they always have to destroy the mystery. Mystery is always so much better. Your imagination is always so much stronger than whatever they're going to throw on the screen. You know, Steven Spielberg, the, the, the ultimate lesson of Jaws, you don't show the monster until the last 10 minutes. That, that's what makes it horrifying. And so when I get this whole backstory, you destroy the mystery. I mean, this was probably going to Star Wars. The prequels just destroyed so much mystery. I had such a better prequel story that I had created in my head than what, you know, Jar Jar and stepping in space camel poo. <laughs> the mystery is always so much stronger. And I, I didn't, you know, I, I'm glad I found out what the, the pigs were about because it just happened to be uh, the year of the pig on the Chinese calendar. But I, I didn't need so much backstory. Well, what we see is that he's a happily married engineer and philanthropist who's building clinics for his wife to run to provide medical care to the poor. And they're building it's, homeless. It's or, a drug addiction clinic. She's helping junkies. OK. Which will explain why he met Amanda, maybe. Yeah. And also he's building. I understand there's a scene with him and his lawyer who is art from the beginning that they're building apartments together, low-income housing, Mm -hmm. and it's John's engineering that's going to make those buildings special. I've seen low-income housing. The thing that's special about it is how efficient it is. Well, it's going to have those like breakfast-making machines in uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And so all the poor are going to want to live in his housing. (laughs) And if you start spending your money on crack, big jaws are going to come down from the ceiling and cut your head off. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I guess, you know, 
know, now we know where he got all the crappy buildings from. He bought them to make into uh, crappy uh, poor people houses. But one of the junkies breaks into the clinic to get some methadone or something. He's He wants to steal something from the clinic. And on his way out, he smushes Jigsaw's wife between a door, causing her to miscarry their child. And he must have hit it pretty hard. I really don't know much about pregnancy, but it must have been like, I, I guess if you push it down, it just has no other place to go. I'm her uterus cracked like an egg because yeah. she got smushed in the door and immediately started bleeding out her legs. Her yeah, I didn't want to. Yeah. So that is why Jigsaw became despondent is because of the death of his child and immediately he becomes a recluse and starts holding up in this warehouse, which they show him buying the warehouse. But I still don't know why he built it. They're like, this will be great for your projects. We can make it puppets, which we still don't know why he has a puppet. Well, he made the puppet for his son. But what a creepy ass puppet to give your son. Is that why he made like I kind of figured maybe he's trying to make a toy, but there's no way you're going to give that to a little kid. Yeah, that's scary. If I got it now, there's no way you're going to give that to a kid. Yeah, he made it as the first toy. He was making a crib for their child and they made that doll, which, by the way, I said Trevor has a name. The doll has a name. His name is Billy. I found that out. Do you, do you have like the uh, the role playing guy to saw? <laughs> Is that what you're getting this? <laughs> So it's Billy the Puppet that was made for the baby whose name was going to be Gideon. Named after a dilapidated meat plant. Meat processing plant. Why would you name your son after such a rundown building? I could understand naming the building after the son. But you don't go, what's the first building I own? Oh, that piece of shit warehouse. That's my son's name. (laughs) Like when you think of garbage, think of Akeem. When you think of meatpacking, think of Gideon. And so then, of course, the first Jigsaw victim, his name is Cecil, who is the junkie who caused his son to miscare. And immediately, he didn't start light. He started by having a contraption where knives were linked to a chair, so the man had to cut his face apart in order to release his bonds. So, to quote Jigsaw, the ugliness on the outside matches the ugliness on the inside. But it was flawed, and he was a test subject because the chair fell apart. That was the point. Is but he was still attached to the things. It didn't release his hands from the little cutting device. I think it did. I, I thought it didn't. I, I thought it was supposed to break. I thought that meant he got out of it. Yeah, he got okay. out of it. I thought his hands were still attached to the little... There were knives in the chair that were cutting his arms and his mm. feet were being cut. Yeah, he got out of it. So, did again, to go back, was this a person worthy of Jigsaw's torture? He's a junkie. He didn't mean to kill the kid or abort the fetus or whatever he you'd want to say, but it was an accident. I was going to say, did Jigsaw really want to redeem him? No, I think it was purely revenge. Now, wrap your head around this, too. Oh, here comes that college degree. I could already tell. <laughs> no, I was investigating the timelines because I'm all screwed up in my head over this, but according to the timelines, because of the year a pig was 1995, they're saying that the diehard fans of these movies are saying that Cecil, this happened to Cecil in 1995, and the cancer happened before that, so he's been living with cancer for like 12 years. Or all these movies take place in the 90s. No, they're saying... Which makes sense with the microcassettes. Yeah, well, they're saying that these movies, the timeline is 2002-2003 for the movies put out thus far. So I don't know where they get the 11 years, but they're saying that since the year of the pig was 1995, there's a camp that says that's integral to the story. It's 1995. And there's another camp that says the writers are idiots. They don't know the Chinese calendar. I'm just going to say this is alternate universe 2000-whatever is the year of the pig. That, that's my explanation. Well, let's talk about the year of the pig because that's where he kidnaps Cecil because all junkies love a street festival. They love the Chinese New Year. It's a well-known fact, Arnie. I mean, what junkie doesn't like a little Buddha? (laughs) And so John just happens to grab a mask, which is a pig mask, which I think would have been far better had this been the pig mask used since the first movie, because it's like this cartoony, porky pig, got big eyelashes and bright eyes pig mask. No, it's like Miss Piggy. It's like if Miss Piggy was a brunette (laughs) with the long flowing hair. I thought that was a great pig mask. And that it's just that random is he kidnaps the guy at a street festival for Year of the Pig. And so from that moment on he has a boar's mask fetish here's my problem with that is that here's an engineer his whole thing is he's so methodical everything's clockwork and logic but yet 
he chooses a pay it because that's the year it was on the Chinese calendar. And it just happened to be there. Yeah, and it just happened. To, it just seems to go against what the whole mythology of Jigsaw is supposed to be. That's very true. But keep in mind, this was early on. He perhaps wasn't that methodical back then. It's before he started moving towards the branding of Billy the Puppet. Or perhaps this is Saw for the Revenge. This time it's personal. <laughs> but then after Cecil gets out of the chair, he then attacks John, which I, I would too. Yeah. And just happens, oops, I tripped into a thing full of razor wire. Lucky you happen to have that razor wire just laying We've there. We've got one in our basement. <laughs> he was set, he's setting up the trap that they show in the first Saw movie with the razor wire. Oh, that's yeah. right, with the stomach acid. Did you not get that? I, I just thought he's Jigsaw, he has razor wire. You know, it's it's a home warehouse defense kit. I, I didn't tie it to the first one. I, yeah, I mean, that's what I figured it was from, or who knows, though. It doesn't matter by this point. <laughs> and then we see the only thing I remember from part five is Jigsaw reveals another trap, which is this giant plexiglass coffin filled with broken glass. And it never pays off in this movie, and then I finally remember. Yeah, it doesn't, does it? No, we see it, and it's like this lingering shot, just like mm-hmm. the cassette in wax last time, and you're like, what the hell was that? And it'll come back in part five. So that's Jigsaw's backstory explaining why he was what he was. And the wife is there and the wife's kind of pissed off. She left him and I guess took her maiden name back because her last name isn't Kramer. And the police leave her in an unair conditioned interview room the whole movie. So for a long time, they keep her in there. I felt yeah, but doesn't sad. she seem doesn't she seem kind of protective of him as well? Like they have to really threaten her a lot and, and bang on the wall a lot to get her to, to spill it. Is that the case or does she not really know? I mean, she said so much by that point. You know, they're not asking the, exactly the right questions. And Well, she, she she's very cryptic at the beginning. They're like, well, to understand John, you have to understand the Chinese calendar. Like, <laughs> why? Like, I totally thought I'm like, OK, again, here's like suspect number four for me who might be uh, picking up the Jigsaw legacy. I mean, why are you being so it, it was like going back to the first movie when Lawrence first gets picked up by the cops because they think he's the Jigsaw killer. And he's sitting there with your his lawyer and they're like, well, where were you? And he's like, I don't want to say, you know what, when you're talking to your lawyer, you can tell him if you're the murderer or not. You can tell him if you're having an affair. It, it, it It's confidential. Actually, you can't tell the lawyer that you're a murderer because then if you wanted to deny it, the lawyer cannot allow you to perjure yourself on the stand. Why do you know this, Arnie? <laughs> a little bit of advice for our listeners. <laughs> but, but you know what? If you're being suspected of murder, you're not going to admit to you know having an affair. <laughs> so you have an alibi. I mean, and, and that is, it just rubbed me the wrong way with this, where she's being real cryptic at the beginning. I'm like, if you have nothing to do with it, if you want to save these people, if you don't want to protect your husband, why don't you just spill it? Yeah. She is a cipher. We don't ever find out much about her other than, well, she's his wife and she does lead them both to the Gideon meat plant because Strom has the big revelation at the end. Wait, didn't he name his son after that dilapidated building? Where is the building? No, and great coincidence here. At the first clue in uh, Riggs' apartment, it has that, uh, you know, your four walls, you know, home is four walls. And then that's the headline of the newspaper he happens to be holding. <laughs> which has the Gideon meat processing. So I guess Jigsaw or Jigsaw's mysterious helper wants Strom to find the Gideon meat plant? I Yeah, by this point, Perez has been incapacitated, correct? By the puppet that blew up in our face? Well, not at the very beginning where they okay. find the four walls make a home. Perez gets incapacitated at the school. Right? Okay. No, at the lawyer's office. No, at school. No, I think they're still in the school. Yeah. And they, oh, okay. I, I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, with the whole thing was strong because he becomes so central at the end of it for, you know, surprise twist. I don't know. Just a lot of coincidental things start happening now. So the whole big key to this is you see Matthews on a block of ice and Hoffman in a chair. As the ice is melting, it is becoming water around the chair. And if Matthews falls off the ice, then it's going to create a circuit that's going to fry Hoffman. And they're being watched over by this mysterious man in black. who In a hunchback. Jacob, you said you thought it might be Elway's. Yeah, because he had that limp. I didn't know who it was. It turns out it's Art from the very beginning. And we find out he was John's lawyer and friend. He also was the lawyer of the principal who Rig beat up. He's basically the only lawyer in whatever city this is because he defends everybody. (laughs) Didn't he have like three other connections? Didn't he also defend the 
fat rapist and and yeah, the rapist, the prostitute, and the child abusers. He all defended. Mm-hmm. And he was John's lawyer too, because you know when I need a business lawyer, I want the one who defends the rapists and whores. Hey, if you're going to be on the defense side, I mean, this guy got him off, so he must be good. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know, Johnny Cochran, uh, you might not like the guy, but he's able to get OJ off. I'm going to go with him if, if I need some uh, legal finagling going on. And so Art is there. And so Rig finally is led to Gideon after going from place to place. And the final thing is he needs to not break into the door. There's two minutes left on the clock that he thinks is going to kill Matthews. Matthews is even yelling, don't come in. He Matthews shoots Rig through the door. Another wonderful shot. These people are great when only given one bullet. But Rig still punches the door down, which causes Matthews to have best death of the movie. Yes. Two big <laughs> bricks of ice crushing his head he is not returning for saw five we didn't expect to see him in three didn't expect to see him in four he's gone now <laughs> that was just oh wonderful that, yeah i i you know i love the shotgun death in three i like this one as well i i don't know if i liked it more the the shotgun death he had the cool brain stem and the, the hair and the chunks of meat but the actual watching the head explode is pretty fun in this one. <laughs> and so rig did not learn his lesson to not save people because at the end of the 90 minutes Art could have pushed the button that would have freed everybody, but instead Rig burst in, Matthews is killed, and then Rig shoots Art, and Art shoots Rig back, and that leaves Hoffman in the chair. He kind of just sits there for a while. You don't know what's going on with it. You, you're thinking he's supposed to get electrocuted. He's but just sitting there. didn't you guys kind of wonder, because we're also seeing Hoffman doing police work, and here he is sitting in this chair. We only saw him at the very beginning investigating Carrie's death. Mm -hmm. We never saw him again, so he was just in there. Again, we were seeing Strom. Mm -hmm. You might have gotten oh, confused. damn it. <laughs> God damn it. We do that. We <laughs> they it's very similar looking and it's they need to do something about that. Did they ever explain Hoffman's disappearance, how he was caught? Or does he just show up in that chair? He just shows up in that chair. Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, we it's find out at the very end why he's in the chair. Big reveal, he was Jigsaw's other helper. And so dun, dun. he just put himself in the chair. And we get to see flashbacks where he's hoisting Carrie onto the trap, and he's even the one who wrote the note for Amanda that she read in part three and broke down in tears and we still don't know what that note said. Yeah, we still don't know what it's, what's going on with it. Perhaps know. it says, haha, he likes me better. <laughs> And Jigsaw obviously knew what the note said because, J or knew there was a note because it's Jigsaw who says, I've left you a note in a drawer in my desk. But if Hoffman put it there, does Jigsaw know what the note says or did Hoffman replace the note with something else? Who knows what the hell's going on there? So that's our big twist. Here's what pissed me off about this twist, if I can say. It, it, it's like we're mirroring part two in certain respects because in part two, you see Shawnee Smith as part of the trap and you think she's one of the victims and at the end, and, oh, she was in on it. The exact same thing happens with Hoffman here. The difference is Shawnee Smith had a reason. You saw her in part one going, he saved me. And in part two, you're like, well, he saved you. I guess, why are you back? And, it, it, you know, it, you could have deduced that she was in on it, perhaps. Here, why the fuck was Hoffman helping him? Well, Artie, there, there's a very subtle clue. And it doesn't give the, the origins to why Hoffman's there, but there's something... Uh, Jigsaw says in one of the flashbacks, he says, things aren't sequential. You know, good doesn't lead to good, bad doesn't lead to bad. And I, I think that's really the key to figure out these movies is that they're not sequential. They're just going to fuck with your head to tell a good twist story. And if you got questions, maybe it'll be answered in the next film. It doesn't matter because things aren't sequential. That's very, very true. Because this is where it all ties in and we find out it's parallel because Strom is also investigating. Because every climax of these movies has everybody converging seemingly on the same location. And Strom is also at the Gideon warehouse and he moving in and you think he's going to find Matthews and Rig and Hoffman. No, he finds Jeff from the last movie and Lily or whatever her name was with her head all blown off. And Lynn. Lynn. You made up a new name for her this time. Yeah. Congratulations. And Jigsaw's there dead. And that is what Strom comes into. And Jeff has a gun. Now, if we remember in the last one, Jeff had a gun, but it only had the one bullet. Jeff points the gun at Strom, screams, where's my daughter? So Strom 
Dom kills Jeff, and that is the fourth death. Remember, Jigsaw said last movie, you have ended four lives. Jeff died moments after three ended. Now, did you think when it first showed Jeff, I thought this was a continuation from three where he's still looking, I don't know, for six months or whatever. He's been walking around this warehouse looking for his daughter. Did you start piecing that maybe there's something going on with the timeline when it first showed him or? I'll tell you the truth. When we first saw four, I did not remember Jeff and I had no clue what the (laughs) fuck was going on. Arnie, you still don't remember Jeff. You can't get his name right either. And this time I knew because that was the only memory I had of four. I I remembered nothing else except Costas Mandalore is evil and this one takes place at the same time as three. Those were my two things going in. So I never had the joy, I guess, of the mystery because the first time I was just confused and the second time it was spoiled. What about you, Marjorie? I'm still confused. <laughs> but I did go into it knowing that Costas Mandalore was evil. I just like saying his name, too, because it's a great name. He, how could you not play an evil character with that name? But it, yeah, I guess Detective it, Hoffman is so much less good. Yeah, definitely. I have trouble because I'm so confused. So, okay, so here's my thing. I'm confused. Strom walks in. Jigsaw, Lynn, and Amanda are all dead. Jeff pulls the gun. He shoots him. Uh, Strom shoots Jeff. Is the door closed? Oh, no. And then... Hoffman comes and closes the door. And says, game over, because somebody game has over. to say game over. And then, but the beginning, it starts at the end, there's Jigsaw's body. So obviously, I, I don't know, maybe this is all coming back up in five. What happened with Strom when he closes the door and how they got Jigsaw's body out of there. I don't, uh I'll, I'll give you a little spoiler. <laughs> yes, it comes back up. I remember five much better because five is what gave me the idea that we had to do this series because I watched five and I'm like, I don't know who any of these fucking people are. I just need to sit and watch them and make two other people do it with me. <laughs> <laughs> See, perhaps you're Jigsaw, and we have some sort of test. <laughs> that makes you Amanda, and Jacob is Costas Mandalore. At I, least I got the cool name. Yeah, you did. You're right. And I'm just a junkie engineer. Because... Here, here's the other thing. Now that we know that the autopsy scene takes place where we know Hoffman's evil, and, and the tape saying to Hoffman, it's Jigsaw speaking to Hoffman, you, you know, no one gets out of this. There's, there's another game for you. Are we to believe that Hoffman was hoping once Jigsaw was dead that he was going to be free of this or that he, because that's kind of, I had to go back and watch this a second time to figure out that ending because the whole tape there is to make you believe that Hoffman's going to be stuck in this game. And then you find out that's really the end of the movie there. Yeah. So are we to believe that Hoffman was trying to get out of this and it's like a gang, you're never out of this, only if you die? It's like Seinfeld. It ends as it begins. The movie started with Hoffman playing the tape. The movie ended with that exact same thing of Hoffman playing the tape. What I took it as is after After his death, Jigsaw left Hoffman a test the same way he had tested Amanda. So Hoffman still has his own test coming. I think Hoffman thought he was the new Jigsaw, but instead he finds out Jigsaw has a game for him. But, you know, I think a lot of this, we just need to see five at this point. And what sucks is we're lucky because we get to see five, you know, today if we want. But when this came out, when we saw this in theaters, we walked out, we're just like, what the hell? And we I know, would have had to wait a whole year. The nice thing was we were able to rewind because I'm like, what was that? Go back, go back, go back, go back. Because, oh my God, yeah, this, you can't just watch these alone. Absolutely not. You have to watch these in sequential order. Could you imagine movies like this coming out before the days of VCRs? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, there would have been riots in the streets. You'd have to have like books coming out telling you what happened in the previous one or something. I still need a book. I actually went online. I'm like, there's got to be like, because I hear this, I guess this movie has a big cult following. That's why there's, you know, six of them and, and more, to, you know, probably coming out. And They're already writing seven. Okay. But they make a ton of money. So I'm like, I, there's got to be saw fan sites because there's obviously people that love these movies. I don't know why. Jigsawslayer.com. <laughs> I, I think that might have been the one I actually looked at. I just did a Google search because I'm like, Jigsaw, Saw movies timeline. Because I, ha- I was just so confused by the end of this movie. And the thing is, I got to wonder, are there people who have annual like Saw viewing parties? Because I got to say, I'm, I feel good going into Saw 6. It opens the Friday after we're recording this that I'll have Saw 1 through 4 pretty fresh in my mind. But when Saw 7 comes out next year, I'm pretty sure I'm going to marathon these again because otherwise I'm going to be lost. Army people do have these marathons and I found this out because I've never seen these movies before and I was talking to this guy I work with who is a Catholic priest <laughs> and as a side job he, he works for the company that I do and I was taught and he 
he's a big horror fan, which, you know, if you're that involved with Catholicism, I would have to think you're a big fan of horror. <laughs> um, and so I brought up, I'm like, yeah, I'm watching these Saw movies. He's like, oh, I watch those every year. I have a big Saw party every year before the new one comes out. So, yes, people do have Saw parties. You'd have to. You would have to. Because you, these movies demand multiple viewings. They just, they do. Whether you like them or not, if you even want to comprehend the plot... You must watch them multiple times. If you just don't care enough that you don't care to understand what you saw, you could walk away. But if you want to even be able to discuss the plot, you have to see them in multiple times. And after each new one comes out, you have to go back and rewatch the old ones to see what it changed. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's an investment. And uh, honestly, I mean, if there's someone that's a big fan of these, I I would like to know why. Because this is such an investment. And yeah, there's little tricks here and there. And there's clever little writing things in there. It's just not worth it to me though to get this invested when you're gonna have to wait a year between installments i'm the same way i enjoy these movies i really do i have a fun time watching them but i can't see myself being a devotee of saw i can't see myself you know if they had saw eu novels reading them (laughs) and a saw mmorpg playing it and trying to figure my way out of the puzzle there are video games there's one coming out yeah really yeah I don't even want to think what it's like. It's probably like Mist, where you have to put the puzzles together. Yeah, it's, it's probably going to come out on DS because, you know, you got your stylus there. It's already like a crossword or something. <laughs> but, you know, I couldn't see myself being so devoted to these that I would watch them multiple times, you know, throughout the year so that I'd remember them at the next time. I could possibly see doing the Saw Party every year if somebody else had one. But that would be about the limit. To be such a devotee of these movies would just be, you know, they're enjoyable, but they're they're not something you're going to base a religion on, you know? The one thing that pissed me off about Saw 4, the little girl is never brought up nope, other we than... Never see- her again jeff yelling where's my daughter we don't well, she was she was probably obsessed with barbies or something so she deserved to die for her obsession so don't feel bad for her yeah i i just feel like jeff's daughter got the short up because at the end of three you're like oh god what's gonna happen to that little girl and you don't know what the hell you know they just completely let that drop which is very unlike them they are not the kind of per- people who let things drop like that yeah maybe in six she'll show Ah, who knows? She's a new, new, new jigsaw. (laughs) Killing other kids on the playground. I, I, if that's Saw 6, I'm going to be a fan of it. I'm always a fan of the child as the ultimate evil because children are evil. So the jigsaw puppets will be like little hand puppets made of felt and all of jigsaw's contraptions will be Tinker Toys and Legos. You're okay. We, I think, you know, they're saying they're stopping at Saw 7. We got Saw 8 ready to go if they want to keep going with the franchise. <laughs> saw prequels, Little Jigsaw. <laughs> yes. All right. So I guess that ends our discussion on Saw 4. So, Marjorie, Jacob, recommend or don't recommend. Make your choice. If you're this far and you're listening to our podcast and watching these, why quit now? You can't watch these standalone. I've said that. This one is a giant mindfuck, I think, because everything you thought about the Saw timeline and franchise is just blown out the window. And unfortunately, kind of like Lost, the TV series, you're going to have to do homework, I think, to figure out when all this is going on. But as a standalone movie, would you recommend Saw as a solo chapter rather than as part of the series? Eh, probably not, because I think a lot of the convenient storylines were just too convenient, and it I think they're really just kind of stretching it kind of thin at this point. Maybe it's going to pay off in part five, but we'll see. Look, I can appreciate when someone wants to do something crazy artistic. They got some crazy theory and they're, they're trying to bring it into the material realm. I could appreciate the fact that these Saw movies, they're trying to do a long-term, you know, nine, ten-hour movie, whatever, once all these movies are put together. I, I could appreciate the ambition. However, if you're going to put these in installments, I need each installment, especially with a year in between, to be satisfying. It needs to be a satisfactory story and Saw 4 isn't satisfying. It, you know, it has the twist at the end, and it seems like that's all it has going for it. If it didn't have that twist, there's nothing in there to make me talk about this movie. And, and sure, every Saw movie it has the big twist at the end. This one just seemed really stretched out and thin and just not worth the investment. 
there's a line in this movie. It talks about cherish your life. That's the brochure, you know, on uh, Jigsaw's wife's, you know, her brochure for her hospital. Cherish your life. And I'm going to say, viewers, cherish your life. Don't waste your time with this movie. Maybe by seven, it will be one satisfactory story that's satisfying. Watch them all then. I do not recommend Saw 4. And I'm kind of in the same boat with Jacob, is that I really do appreciate what they're trying to do here because I cannot think of any other movie series, period, that is this intertwined. None. They all are more self-contained. That said, they're all a little bit more satisfying because of their self-contained nature. This is almost, what I can compare it to is perhaps the HBO TV series True Blood. And trying to review each of these movies is like trying to review a single episode there when you need to be reviewing the series up to that episode because everything just continues in the next one. But by Saw 4, I'm just a little bit tired of the everything you know is wrong twist. It's it's a little bit played out. At some point, are the movie makers ever going to tell us something that's right? Because everything we've always known is always wrong. The trick that made me like Saw 1 and Saw 3 is that I was able to identify with the plight. Saw 1 had some novelty to it and Saw 3 had Jeff the character. Here, again, I didn't really find myself caring about Rig. I didn't care about his trial. I didn't even know. Jacob, you said that that woman was a whore. I was guessing she was a whore, the woman in Rig's apartment. You don't even know what some of these people have done. It it seemed like a stretch. And overall, I was just a little bit bored. I didn't enjoy this movie and I felt the twist at the end was not justified. Now, I know they're building it with Saw 5 in mind, but that doesn't make this movie work alone. You know, when we finish seeing Saw 6, which will be the most recent as of these recordings, maybe we'll have to look back and say, do you recommend the series? Because these individual installments, 2 and 4, we're like at the anti-Star Trek. 1 and 3 were good, 2 and 4 weren't. And so I'm hoping 5 is good again and that means 6 will suck. But it's hard to judge everything individually like this because you can't skip them. You can't just watch the good ones. So, no, I can't recommend Saw 4 alone. But as far as the franchise goes, Saw 4 is also starting to wear its welcome thin. I was really with it through Saw 3. Saw 4 is the first one where I'm like, alright, you guys gotta step it up a little more in order to keep me interested. But there's two more to go, so we'll have to see what happens. So thank you again, Marjorie and Jacob, for joining me, and we'll be back next time to discuss Saw 5. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the now-playing Saw Movie Retrospective. Congratulations, you are still alive. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review for us on iTunes, or post about us on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media avenue of choice. You can find more now-playing retrospective series at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Series include Halloween, Friday the 13th, Star Trek, Terminator, and others. This is the most fun I've had without lubricant. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2009, and is not affiliated with Lionsgate Pictures or Twisted Pictures. Saw and all that the Saw universe contains are copyright and trademark Twisted Pictures, and no infringement is intended. Jacob, and I'm glad I'm not Donnie Wahlberg. Did you ever think you wanted to be Donnie Wahlberg? Uh, you know, he got a lot of chicks in the uh, 90s, you know. It's and 80s. And 80s, you know, they might have, you know, been kind of young, but I- I'm just saying. I-, I would pick the other Wahlberg brother if I were you. <laughs> if I had to pick a new kid, that's all I'm saying. Donnie was the bad boy. He was I can't the even guy. name another new kid. <laughs> Come on, Jordan, uh, John, uh, Babyface one. <laughs> Jordan, John, Matt, and Luke, I don't know. It, it just reminds me of Conan O'Brien's old skit with his boy band, Dudes Aplenty. And there's the one who had his eye covered like a pirate, and it was hilarious. It was old Conan when it was great.